the AZ industry is rapidly changing, but your team doesn't have time to reinvent workflows for every new technology or client demand. ProjectWise, powered by iTwin, puts you in control and positions your firm for non-disruptive change. Whether you need to improve design quality, optimize existing processes, or even get started with digital delivery and digital twins, ProjectWise enables you to make the most of what you already have without starting over. Visit go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to see how ProjectWise is empowering AEC firms to do more with less. Once again, that's go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Director of Private Markets for ACEC National in Washington, D.C. I wanted to first thank our podcast sponsor, Bentley Systems, for sponsoring this episode. And I also wanted to get to the topic of conversation today. I have invited Colliers back with us, a leading professional services and investment management company. Uh, They're a global leader in real estate services and even more in particular in commercial real estate. So we're going to get an update on that today and take a 30,000 foot view on some macroeconomic trends impacting these industries, get an overall landscape and look into the CRE uh, asset class, look more at office, uh, life sciences, and maybe some emerging markets as well. So I've brought together uh, an industry expert with me today, Erin uh, Jodka. Thank you for joining me again. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So Aaron is uh, very familiar with speaking with ACEC. He spoke at our first uh, healthcare and life sciences uh, technology uh, private symposium in Boston about a year ago and gave us an economic update on the landscape there. And then he also joined last year to give an update on the life sciences market. Uh, He is currently the director for national capital markets research with Colliers, and uh, he analyzes data and trends to help clients make informed business decisions and has also led uh, research nationally on the life sciences sector and others providing other reports and thought leadership and uh, industry insight. And so I'm going to look to him um, for some background on mixed use properties, demographic mapping, research, uh, capital markets and things like that. So Aaron, I'm going to go ahead and and jump in with the first question, if I may. I wanted to kind of look at the state of the economy and the the latest things that I I actually saw today is, um, you know, CPI inflation. And I see that it's come down. It's actually um, 
only rose 3% in uh, annually in June, which is down 4.1% in May, um, and especially down from the peak of 8.8% in May. And those are probably the hottest data point numbers that we're looking at now. But I'm interested for our members, you know, GDP inflation, uh, the labor market, you know, interest rates, what are the, the biggest trends that you're seeing in our market? Well, it, it's really a matter of trying to balance all the different components of the economy. And depending on where you sit, you could make a really strong argument for continued strong economic growth, or you could make an argument for, well, there's some challenges coming about. So there, there, there's this weird balance, but you're right. CPI to me is one of the, the, the most important data points that we can continue to watch, which is showing that the impact of the Fed's re, uh, rate tightening cycle is working. We're seeing inflation coming down, it's still above their 2% target, but it's substantially better than it was a year ago uh, and, 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 and even prior to that. So we're, we're getting inflation under control, which is a really good thing. The job market continues to be strong and that's supporting consumer spending. And we've seen GDP growth of late revised up. First quarter GDP growth was revised up 70 basis points uh, up to 20, uh, excuse me, 2% which is a, a pretty good reading in a world where many economists were expecting us to be in a, in a recession. Very interesting. I hear a lot of conversation about, is this going to be a hard landing, a soft landing? When's the landing going to happen? Did it already happen? Mm -hmm. But I'm very interested in what you mentioned about the monetary policy and the tightening. And so I wanted to look at the shift in banking sentiment and discuss the impact in that industry because it really affects the life sciences and office sector and investment there. So looking at financing and capital availability, where are we trending and, and how does that compare to 2008 and 2009? So we've seen quite the yo-yo in the in the world of banking and, and in availability of funding. And I like to sort of set some of these conversations with, with a bit of a, a historical context. 2021 and 2022 were awesome time periods to live through, but they were not normal. Those were not sustainable levels of whether it's venture capital funding, whether that's real estate investment, uh, IPO activity, whatever it was. Pokemon card collection soared. Everything of, of value of, of an asset had, had value appreciation. So there's this, this sort of setting this, the parameters of, of where we are. So coming off of 21 and 2022, things look tough. Uh, they're, they're not all that favorable. But in the grand scheme of things, we're still in a pretty good position. So what's happened of late? Well, we had a few bank failures, three major banks uh, in particular earlier this year that failed. And that caused some real upheaval in the banking industry. Lenders pulled back. We've seen continued uh, increases in their them tightening their lending standards. That's making it harder for commercial real estate transactions to take place, whether that's a brand new acquisition, refinancing, or breaking ground in new construction. So across the board, we're seeing some, some challenges there. Now, unfortunately, one of the banks that, that failed was a major funding source to the life sciences industry, to technology. So that's been dispersed a little bit. So other banks are coming in. Uh, and filling some of that void. What have we seen of, of late recent earnings? Pretty strong results from the likes of Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, et cetera. So we're seeing some very strong uh, activity from our major banking uh, providers here in the United States. So our banking industry is still strong, even though we had a little bit of a hiccup earlier in the year. That, that's good news to hear. 
I wanted to go further into one of the asset classes that you mentioned in CRE and look at um, the latest office trends data you mentioned. Um, I think there is a new quarterly report that you might be able to give us a sneak peek at some of the fundamentals uh, released in that report. Yes, so we're, we're, we're wrapping up our second quarter uh, statistics and, and unfortunately they're continuing the trend that we've seen of late of escalating vacancies, which are now at an all-time high. So we're continuing to see softness in the office market. Doesn't mean that it's everywhere. Uh, we are seeing some pockets of, of strength, particularly newer properties, newer, better built assets with modern amenities and the demand, uh, the tenants demand that space. Uh, I've heard anecdotally that 90% of tenants are looking for 10% of the space. Clearly, there's a mismatch in, in where we can actually house all of these, these office tenants. So there's, there's a, a bifurcation taking place in the market. So we're, we're seeing that taking place. Vacancies are rising due to weak demand in the sense that negative absorption. There's less occupied space this quarter than there was the quarter before. And sublease space is continuing to escalate. Though that is rising at a slower pace from Q1 to Q2 than we've seen in, in previous quarters. So perhaps we're, we're reaching close to a peak of the sublease market. Uh, time, time will tell. So uh, there was a interesting uh, tidbit in there that you were talking about because of the high demand for class A uh, property types in the office space. You have these other classes that are kind of forgotten about that nobody wants. And then insert another problem, which is housing supply. Uh, which is extremely mm -hmm. low, um, but we have excess office space. So can you tell us about the potential for adaptive reuse in changing, you know, this office space into potential multifamily uh, living opportunities? It's a great idea and it's a really interesting concept and it will work in certain pockets, but it won't in others. So we really need to see the financials as well as the overall conditions of the building. So thinking of office to residential or office to some other use, let's start with sort of urban cores, dense markets uh, as a starting point. Well, you need certain clear heights uh, so you can have enough room for, for apartments. Your floor plates need to be of a certain size. If they're too big, it makes it very challenging because you need that natural light. You need to have the ability to really be comfortable in your, in your residential unit. Um, could that mean coring out a bigger building? Possibly. So there's certainly an expense related to that. Um, so there's, there's a couple of those conditions, but then the, the, the capital comes into to question. So if you need to acquire the building, then you need to rehab it, repurpose it. That could be anywhere from $450 to $650 a square foot, potentially more, depending on the level of finishes and, and what's ultimately being done there. So there has to be a return, so to speak, for, for that developer, for that investor. Can they sell that asset in the future, stabilize it at a price at or higher than that, ideally much higher than that, so that there is a return. So we're, we're seeing the challenge of, one, a lot of buildings don't meet sort of the criteria of standards, if you will, from, from its, its structural standpoint, and then a lot more fall off the list from a financial standpoint. So it's, it's, it's a great concept. It's going to be very challenging in practice to execute on, and we need our communities and our municipalities to make some changes. So whether that's adding additional density, whether that's offering tax incentives, something to help promote additional changes here because rough math on its own may not work. There, there's two things I, I noticed um, when we were going through COVID and we were in the heat of it, there was a lot of discussion about doing conversions of hospitality space and hotels into apartment living. And all the things I heard said it was just going to be entirely too expensive to do a conversion of that space that they would actually 
it would be more financially feasible to tear it down and start over. So mm. I'm really interested to see how that turns out. I think the financial factor is very big there and getting investors to see that value. And then the other latest trend I actually heard in one of our, um, we have a land development coalition and our LDC XCOM, our senior leaders of that committee at ACEC talked that they're seeing single family um, permit spaces that are being authorized to build two or three units on that single plot. So I'm very interested to see what they do with that. And I'll have to keep an eye on that as well. Uh, I did want to look at your um, emerging asset classes. Can you tell us anything hmm. new that's coming out? You had mentioned to me earlier, uh, battery manufacturing, energy, hydrogen fusion. It's becoming kind of competitors yeah. for your biomedical group. So what's going on there? Yes, so we're seeing a lot of what we're calling tough tech. So these are industries that are growing rapidly in certain pockets of the country. And that can be in the Northeast. It can be in, in Georgia, in Tennessee, Ohio, Michigan, uh, California, Texas. There, there are a number of states that are seeing really strong growth here, depending on where we are on the sort of tough tech world. So that could be anything from EV manufacturing, can be battery manufacturing, and new energy, clean energy. Think hydrogen or uh, fusion power, things of that nature. So really some interesting dynamics here. Now, what do they all have in common? They're massive power users. So we're seeing that as one of the biggest hindrances today is taking asset A to completion or, or converting a building. It's that power component. So finding ways to work with, with the local electric and utility grids to, to connect and, and have that support is really, really important. And that's causing some delays of 12 to up to 18 months where you can't get your tenant in there and up and running and, and, and start your business because you just can't get the power in. So that's another area that we're seeing on the conversion front, particularly out in the suburbs where you can take some of these older underutilized office buildings. They have some clear height. You can take out the second part of the second floor, add some height where you need it, um, assuming you can get the power. And all of a sudden these buildings have a second life or as you mentioned earlier, potentially clearing the site, knocking the building down and building a new. But those are some really interesting areas that we're seeing growth in is providing a, a plan B and a plan C in certain economies that were heavily reliant on, let's say, biomanufacturing or life sciences, an industry that has cooled a little bit. It now has some other areas that are growing in a place where I sit in Boston has that opportunity where we're seeing growth in these different aspects that weren't originally on the business plan for, for landlords and, and developers in, in their uh, projects. But that's the tenants that are that are there today leasing space. Very interesting. So in the realm of technology, what about AI? How is AI impacting this industry? Any trends you're seeing there? Yeah, so AI is really interesting. It's still new for a lot of us trying to figure out how that works. Now, in the world of tech, we've been using AI for a long time, helping with coding, helping with programming. It's, it's second nature to a lot of big tech companies. So we're seeing some growth on, on the data center side. Data centers is certainly one area that will continue to benefit from an AI surge. And we've seen some activity over the last 60 days in particular of, of sort of that second wind and another uh, uh, jolt to that industry. Um, in terms of other asset classes, we're seeing AI start to, to come into healthcare a little bit more. So how will that help with predictive medicine, uh, analyzing different scans and, and, and x-rays and, and, and things of that nature? And finding ways to integrate AI with what we're doing today, make things more efficient, make things more um, effective, uh, particularly in the healthcare world where we're seeing some cost challenges. One, we've got burnout from a lot of these skilled uh, individuals, and there's also some, some 
price pressure and cost pressure. So trying to find ways to do more with the same uh, is, is something that AI might be able to help us out with. We're trying to figure it out over here on this side as well and how AI is going to impact architects, engineers, um, and the construction workforce as well. So I think I have time for about one more question. And I wanted to look um, specifically at life sciences and office space. Can you tell me about any regional trends? Like is Boston still the leader? Is it still the hot spot for everything? Or are some maybe other markets regionally, uh, you know, showing themselves that we should watch? Yeah, so from a life sciences standpoint, we still have a pretty clear uh, tiering, if you will, of, of, of markets. So your, your Boston and your San Francisco Bay Area are the two largest markets uh, in the country, and then they're by a wide margin. Uh, when you start going from there, you get uh, the San Francisco, excuse me, the San Diego's, uh, the Philadelphia's, the Raleigh Durham's. But then there's a lot of growth happening in places like Chicago. We're seeing growth in St. Louis, Houston, Salt Lake City, a number of markets that may not be right on the top of your mind as, as life sciences hubs are growing and they're expanding. And the reason for that is they have a mix of talent. They have a mix of colleges and universities that continue to churn out that talent. They have investment um, and, and they just have that innovative culture, which, which is uh, really a, a nice combination. So looking at healthcare systems, looking at healthcare opportunities, hospital networks, educational facilities can make a really interesting recipe for future life sciences growth whether that's continued in, in existing hubs or expansion in, in new markets. Great. So I think that ties in nicely with how I'm going to wrap us up here. I wanted to let our members know that the latest healthcare and science and technology private market industry brief is available online. Um, we'll also put a resource link in the show notes of the episode on YouTube and the Engineering Influence podcast. There is also, uh, speaking of education and feeding these uh, healthcare and life science industries, the K-12 and higher ed brief is slated to come out in August. Uh, we're in final reviews now and if you are subscribed to that, you will get sent. Or you can also reach out to me directly, and I'd happy to provide that with you at dalexander at acec.org. And then finally, AI we talked about. We have a new series that's coming out starting August 3rd, which will be a four-part series about AI and AEC and how the marketing and business development landscape in the AEC industry is being changed and how that is going to transform our industry, like healthcare, life sciences, and other office and commercial real estate classes too. So Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to see you again. You've uh, seen another episode of Engineering Influence Podcast. Have a great one. Mm -hmm.